This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Welcome to The Cheap Seats. This is the show where we get you front row seats for the best LGBTIQ spoken word events from Melbourne and from around the world. I'm Dean, and it's great to have your company this evening. Tonight, we're in The Cheap Seats for a live performance by Canadian trans artists Ivan Coyote and Ray Spoon for their show called Gender Failure. Gender Failure explores and exposes the pair's failed attempts at fitting into the gender binary, and ultimately, how the gender binary doesn't add up. But first, a little bit more about our artists. Ivan Coyote was born and raised in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory. Coyote does not believe in the gender binary and uses gender-neutral pronouns. They are an award-winning author of short stories, a novel, three CDs, four short films, and a renowned performer. Ivan's first love is live storytelling. And over the last 19 years, they have become an audience favourite at music, poetry, spoken word and writers' festivals from Anchorage through to Amsterdam. Ray Spoon is our second artist this evening and grew up as a transgender person in Calgary, Alberta and now lives in Montreal, Quebec. After a decade of living as a trans man, Ray, much like Ivan, prefers the gender-neutral pronoun they... In an interview with Now Magazine, Ray is quoted as saying that after years of fighting to be called he, the idea of coming out again made me tired. But now I feel kind of rejuvenated, ready to fight on some more. I think the they pronoun is a pretty cool thing. It's letting a lot of people not have to identify as a man or a woman, whatever it means to them. But for now, let's turn our mobile phones to silent and take our seats as we listen to Ivan Coyote and Ray Spoon perform Gender Failure from the Cheap Seats on Joy 94.9. Janine Jones and I, yeah, we were best friends from grade two all the way to grade eight. We bonded way back in grade two, the day, uh, this time during crafts hour at school, when someone took a straw and blew a tiny little glass bead straight into Janet McLeod's ear, she had to get taken to emergency, and the principal came in to supervise the class while our teacher, Miss McCarthy, went to the hospital with Janet, and the principal, he stood in the front of the room and bellowed that the right thing to do, the right thing to do, was that who would ever have blown that bead Be a man. Be a man. Step up and admit what they had done. But see, both Janine and I, we had seen that it had actually been Carrie Halliday. This girl, she was bigger than most of the boys already. She had a big gap in her teeth. She'd been the actual bead blower. (laughs) Carrie Halliday was famous for having had to repeat grade one twice already. (laughs) She was mean. She was prone to unprovoked snake bites and knuckle punches and shin kicks, so neither one of us said a word. Because like all of us, including our teacher, Miss McCarthy, we were all fucking terrified of Carrie Halliday. <laughs> Janine smiled down at her desk, and then her gaze slipped sideways across the aisle and met mine. 
We both raised our eyebrows and nodded at each other. We were complicit in that secret. We were silent partners in someone else's crime, and that was all it took. Three weeks later, behind the ball diamonds, Janine and I, we stabbed our pinky fingers with a safety pin. We'd scorched with a kitchen match and declared each other blood brothers forever. I lived on Hemlock Street, one minute away by footpath, through the green belt from Janine's parents' house over on Poplar. And it turned out that we both liked sports, we were really, really into that book, The Chrysalids, <laughs> and uh, camping, and neither of us went in for Barbies, or playing house, or uh, doing our hair, or any stuff like that. For the first 19 years of my life, my gender was like an amusement park ride I couldn't get off of. My mother often told me I looked like a tiny doll when I was born. She'd say, you didn't have any dents on your head like the other babies. And you had a full head of hair. And the nurses would fight over who got to hold you. Such a beautiful baby girl. Eh, must be because I have strong stomach muscles, she'd say, pounding herself on the belly lightly. Being a girl is something that never really happened for me. The first day of junior high gym class, I was horrified when I realized we were going to have to change our clothes together in a locker room. The other girls collected near the, near the rows of beige lockers while I dodged into a bathroom stall. I could hear them all singing this song as I hid, pulling my t-shirt over my head. I think it went something like, I will always love you. How did they all know the same songs? My Pentecostal parents had only ever let me listen to Christian music. See, I used to think I knew what Ray meant, sort of, when Ray said that my Pentecostal parents only ever let me listen to Christian music. I thought I could comprehend that, sort of, what it meant until... A few years ago, we were on tour on Vancouver Island, and we were driving around in my truck, and I was sort of non-consensually forcing them to listen to classic rock, and uh, which I don't think is Ray's chosen genre. And uh, but then this song came on, and Ray was like, "Oh, this isn't bad. This is I don't mind. This is catchy. Who's this?" I was like, "Really? Who's it? This is the Beatles." <laughs> the Beatles, Ray. They're pretty good, though. You should check them out. <laughs> anyway. Janine Jones and I, completely inseparable for all those years. I ate at her place for dinner two or three nights a week because my parents worked nights a lot, and we were always sleeping over at each other's houses. We were like sisters. That's what everybody said, but that made me snort a little because me and my actual real sister could hardly stand to be in the same room together for like five minutes without tearing holes in each other metaphorically or otherwise. And Janine, she only had these two brothers, both of whom were completely useless as far as Janine and I were concerned. Jerome, he was like a chronic masturbator at home. And uh, so you never walked into that guy's bedroom, ever, never. Uh, he was a science nerd at school. Little Marcus, he was a bit of a bedwetter. And uh, he still needed us to babysit him all the time so that he didn't uh, play with matches or the gas stove or propane curling iron again like that one time. And, and he was, he, or catch his foreskin in his zipper due to this weird aversion he had to wearing any underwear at all. Marcus was our responsibility, not our, not our comrade. Anyway. We figured we were better than sisters until the start of grade eight. 
when they finally finished the new junior high school up on Hickory Street. For some reason, Janine, she signed up for home economics class starting that September. Instead of shop, like we had been talking about all summer, right? And it turned out that was, it was because uh, um, Jeannie, Sandra, Wendy, Tracy, Carrie Ann, and tall Rebecca, they were all taking home ec, and she was all into hanging out with them more now, ever since they all went horseback riding at her mom's works barbecue last summer. I mean, who knew all their moms worked together at the motor vehicles office, right? I mean, what a coincidence. Anyway, <laughs> next thing I know, Janine is bra shopping with a lot of them, and I am not invited because I don't even need or want a training bra yet. And I guess the first thing that ever truly came between the two of us was her breasts. They set us apart. How could they not? In gymnastics that day, I was on the parallel bars trying to keep myself up. And I felt this hot, ripping pain in my chest, and my arms gave out, and I started crying, crumpled up on the floor. The gym teacher came over and said, you're okay, you're not hurt, and pulled me back up onto my feet, and then I turned red. And then one of the other girls came up to me, smiling widely, and said, hey, it's okay. I used to want to be a boy, too. And I was like, what in the, does that have to do with this? You know? <laughs> And I felt the floor giving way under me. This was the second time she'd gone out of her way to point out I was bad at being a girl. She was on to me. A week later, we moved on to the dance aerobics portion of gym class. The boys were outside and they were playing rugby, which looked violent, but not as dangerous as moving around to dance music. <laughs> Obviously, I'd never been allowed to dance in my life. And the pumping beat of rhythm, rhythm as a dancer came on and the gym teacher started to like, call out moves and demonstrate them. I urged my body to move to the music like a limp scarecrow, and I knew if I didn't dance, I would be in trouble with the teacher, but if I did, I would go to hell. So you can sort of imagine the conflict being played out in this first dance in my body. <laughs> anyway, I, thought I saw the gym teacher raise her eyebrow at me as I shimmied robotically behind all the girls who seemed to be genuinely enjoying things, and at the end of the class, the gym teacher said, good job, girls. Tomorrow, you're gonna break up into groups and come up with your own routines. I don't, like, I don't want you to think that I was obsessed with them or anything. I, I wasn't, but the thing that you have to understand about Janine Jones' breasts, okay, was that, <laughs> is that they just appeared overnight. No, it was the weirdest thing. It was like they weren't there, and then all of a sudden, poof, they were, and then they were really there. Like, they were um, a D cup, easy, by the time we started grade eight. That poor little thing, right? And, um, and of course, there, it was the new school, and so the older boys were there, the grade nine boys, and, and they noticed. And uh, come to think of it, looking back, that would probably be the second thing that would split us up were those boys at school. Um, the third thing was definitely cheerleading. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, there was no way I could dance to that song. Move my hips in front of other people. No, no, no. Just, just the thought of it made me freeze ice-cold blood in my ears and all. But Janine, she was all of a sudden so into it all. She even liked the little pleated skirt thing they made her wear. And who was this new girl anyway? What had she done with my very best friend? who only liked brown cords or blue jeans, just like me. 
That night I was in the bath and I looked at my mom's pink leg razor and then I grabbed it and turned it over in my hand. I could still hear all the girls talking about their new bras in the locker room that day. I decided I had to do something. So I just dragged the razor up my leg, shaving off tiny blonde hairs, and then I slipped and cut my knee and then blood dripped into my bath water, but I was like, can't stop now. And so I just continued and afterwards my mother saw me coming down the hall and looked like I'd had sort of a fight with a cat, but we didn't have any cats. And so she said, what happened to you? And then I hung my head and said, I shaved my legs. But you're only 12, she said, you don't need to. She didn't know how much I needed to do something that made me seem a bit more like a girl. Yes, I do, I said. Well, did you use soap? Next time use soap. She patted my head and walked away. In gym class the next day, no one noticed my attempts at becoming a woman, and the teacher broke us up into groups and said, come up with a routine to the song I give you. And our group was assigned the particularly sinful song, gonna make you sweat, everybody dance now. We took our tiny stereo and went to the corner of the gymnasium. We should start in a line, one girl said, trying to take control. And then we can move our arms up and down like this. It will look like water. <laughs> Kill me now, I thought. Fourth and final element of our undoing was the slumber party. Every birthday for six years before that one of hers in the fall of grade eight had been the same, and to me it had been perfect. It had been perfect. Our moms would rent us a couple of movies and buy a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken for dinner, but not the fall of 1983. That was the year that Janine decided that she was having a big slumber party and that all of her new friends from horseback riding and home economics and cheerleading were all coming too. And we had to have Chinese food instead of for Kentucky Fried Chicken because the cheerleaders wouldn't eat any fried foods. And, um, and then we had, we had to watch this movie called Pretty in Pink um, instead of Monty Python, which was our usual, um, obviously superior. And uh, I'm... <laughs> I fell asleep early because I was tired from a hockey tournament because I was still playing on the boys team, which everybody also thought was weird. But anyway, I was curled up in my Smokey the Bear sleeping bag in one corner of the rec room over near the electric piano. And I woke up sometime in the wee hours of the night. I must have heard my name being spoken in my sleep, I guess, because they were all talking about me. Wendy, Tracy Sander, Jeannie, Carrie Ann, plus tall Rebecca, and worst thing ever, Janine Jones, my very best friend, too, laughing at my flat and training braless chest and hairless armpits, and I could feel my dinner churn and burn in the back of my throat, and then the tears welled and fell and rolled and rolled. I could not control them at all. And then... It got so much worse. Slowly, our gymnastic routine unfolded. It involved a lot of loosely choreographed maneuvers, which we were trying to do in unison. And then we made the routine longer by doing them really close together and then further apart. <laughs> and by the end of the class, I was certain we created a performance that would not only confirm how deeply flawed I was at being a girl, I was also going to go to hell forever. And the next day it was showtime, and the other groups went up, and they managed to perform through waves of their own giggles, and suddenly it was our turn, and I stood up and I joined my group on our blue gym mat, and we stood motionless in a line, 
My heart was racing. The gym teacher pressed play on our song. We were just about ready to become water, and as the synthesizers washed over us, something happened to me. Something far back in my mind snapped. I can't do this, I thought. And then a voice spoke to me, which at the time I thought was Jesus, and now I don't really know who it was, but anyway. <laughs> it said one word, run. I bolted out of the line and out of the room like someone had pulled the pin from a spiritual grenade. By the time the singer started, I was halfway down the hall. I had no idea where I was running. My best friend's voice hiccuped. It was all just so hilarious. Me. And then she told the rest of the girls that I had no hair down there yet either. Bald as an egg, she said, and you should see her. Her thing, it's huge, her you know. It's as long as half my pointer finger, seriously, and it hangs right down past her lips and it looks just like a tiny you know what. Ugh, that's disgusting. How sick. Another voice, another peal of laughter, sounded like Wendy, maybe, and she should talk right through her retainer and headgear. She wasn't so perfect. <laughs> and then I heard the swish of her so weak with laughter at me that she fell backwards into her dad's borrowed down sleeping bag. So the last time I ever took my clothes off in the open space of a women's change room, I was 13 years old and had just started grade eight at a new school. And I still change in a bathroom stall to this day when I'm in strange gyms and I have a scar on my elbow where I split it open one time on the rough edge of a toilet paper dispenser to prove it. So Janine and I, we, we didn't hang out too much after that night. We never talked about why. She lives in Manitoba now. She runs a hotel with her husband and two kids. She still plays the oboe and does a little theater. And every once in a while, she will drunk dial me on a Friday night and tell me, she's an artist too, you know. <laughs> and that she's writing down some stories about when we were all kids. I never ask her if she knows or if she writes about why we fell apart. It was part those breasts and part those boys and part that home ec class for sure and a little bit of cheerleading, but for me it was mostly the way she talked about my little dick that night in the rec room in the half basement of her parents' house over on Poplar Street. I've been carrying that night around with me for 30 years. Just now. It's the first time I ever put it down. Put it down in words.
TIQ Community Radio Station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. I heard about this new website that allowed people to post videos of themselves online for the world to see. And I was feeling a bit cut off from my own world because I was living in this small um, town in Germany at the time. And so I decided maybe it would be cool to record a video of myself and share it. So I uploaded it to YouTube, this new thing. And in the video, my hair was in this sort of like untamed mullet um, because I didn't really learn how to speak German too well. And I was nervous to go to the only salon in town. Um, because it was called Hair Killer, so I didn't really know what happened there. And I was wearing these oversized wireframe glasses from the 70s, and there was like kind of a rack of my laundry drying behind me. Anyway, so I performed an acoustic version of this brand new song I'd written called Come On Forest Fire, Burn the Disco Down. Oh, I guess you've seen the YouTube. <laughs> um, anyway, um, but anyway, the song was like this series of like questions, you know, and I wanted to ask questions about the ongoing colonialism in Canada, and especially from people who, like myself, fall in the category of benefiting vastly from the history of Canada being a colony. Um, you know, but I was nervous because I kind of just rewritten this song over 50 times all alone, and I, and I thought I would get some valuable feedback from the public if I just posted it. So it, it appeared with its original title, um, acoustic version of new song, recorded in Weimar, Germany, January 2008. Anyway, I'd always been an independent musician, and so for the most part, I was kind of sheltered from public opinion um, because of a lack of media attention. So I was really unaware of my own um, image or you know any public opinion about it. Um, but anyway, I thought like yeah, at the time I identified as male, and I was like my voice is kind of high, and I was like ah oh, whatever. Like there was like that guy Prince, right? Like no one's gonna freak out. It's already happened. So you know I thought he'd kind of pave the way for the high-pitched voice decades earlier. Anyway, I went to sleep, I woke up, and to my surprise, there wasn't really that many opinions about the song. It was, there was sort of this unexpected landslide of opinions posted about like my hair and my gender and my appearance and my voice. And so now some of them are hidden from public view because they got too many thumbs down. But for the book, I was like, it actually makes this kind of beautiful poem about the, um, you know, the music industry. But I thought, you know, for the live show, I thought I would try to string the, these comments together as the lyrics um, of a new song to the tune of the song that they were on like as a comment. And I think when you do that, it makes a lively ditty <laughs> about the expectations of gender in the music industry. And we've been finding actually it's pretty fun to sing it to like the original video, so just so everybody gets an idea of what exactly it was. <laughs> it's a mullet. This was only like six years ago, I don't know. Anyway, so... Lively already, I'd say. Boy or a girl, are you a chick? Ray Spoon has a vagina. I didn't know the shot was that low. Are you a boy or a girl? A man or a very geeky woman? Are you a dude or a chick? Is this a man, a woman? Why did you steal my grandfather's glasses? And you know, obviously I needed a few makeover tips, so. You have a great voice, but grow out your hair. Lose 
much better. And then some people just, they were like, you need to learn about this gender thing because you're not doing it very well. So someone wrote, gray voice girl, but you have to look more like a girl if you want to succeed. That's how the world is. And then I started getting really confused about my gender because um, someone, there's sort of references to other musicians like, Holy shit, woman, move over, carry Underwood. And then, but then the next person said, you remind me of a young Neil Young. And then there was just strange and compelling ones that were, anyway, like this one. I am a young man, and I know you probably love women but I would like to lay in a bed and just talk with you we never got around to doing that but anyway so my very favorite comment um, it was all in caps locks and it's actually my favorite comment on my gender ever I don't know it sort of sounds like a country music song it's strung together so it makes also a nice sing-along but holy shit dude you're a chick everybody holy shit dude you're a chick and now in caps locks holy shit dude you're a chick Thank you. That was really fun. The Cheap Seats for LGBTIQ spoken word events from Melbourne and the world. Every Thursday night at 10pm on Joy 94.9. Cheap Seats. So on my dedication, which was like the day I was slated to meet Jesus for the first time, I was only a couple of months old, and there was this photo of me askew on my Uncle Carl's lap, and he has this huge grin underneath his handlebar mustache, and he was holding me till my parents were ready to take me up to the front of the church, and apparently the pink satin dress my mother put me in turned out to be a hazard, and I was as slippery as a little frog in his hands, and... A dedication at our church was the moment when the parents uh, of a newborn baby pledged to raise a Christian and everything that came along with that. In my case, being a girl. More and more, I've thought of my gender as a story I tell myself. When I was assigned female, I told myself I was a girl because it was the only information anyone ever gave me. I struggled with the expectations that were placed on me, but the character I played was female, even if I was really bad at acting. I'm standing on a street corner waiting for my friend who's at the store. And this guy, I don't know, I've never seen him before, he just comes, he just strides right up to me and he pokes me in the middle of the chest repeatedly. And then he says, are you a female? (laughs) Um, kind of, I tell him. (laughs) What kind of an answer is that, he, he asks me. 
So what kind of a question is that? I ask him back, and then I say, and what kind of a fellow goes about poking perfect strangers in the chest without their consent anyway? And he nods at this. Like he agrees with me on that point. Yeah, right. <laughs> then he just turns and he leaps into a black and navy blue late 70s El Camino and speeds away. <laughs> Leaving me standing there on the sidewalk. I'm kind of like, what the, what the just happened to me? And then in that moment, though, I realize that I have a choice. I, I can choose to feel pissed off that he um, touched me like that, that he talked to me like that. Or I can feel vaguely triumphant um, that he seemed to reconsider his bad behavior, <laughs> if not apologize to me. And in the end, I pick triumph because um, it was almost sunny in Vancouver <laughs> that January morning. And uh, it was way too early to turn my day the wrong way. When I met people who'd been assigned female um, and then decided they wanted to identify as male, I realized I was allowed to tell that story. And so, you know, I started to tell the story that I was a man. And, but being transgender was different because all of a sudden I had to sell my story to other people, you know? It was like, you know, as soon as I was like, I'm a man, I, like there are pamphlets. I was like, no, seriously, read this pamphlet. Um, you know, instead of assuming that my body or my presentation or gender assignment would do that work for me. And it was often hard to be accepted because of being transgender. And so the story of my gender and relationships was often compromised by people who wouldn't respect my requests. And so I started to kind of internalize this and started wondering what it made people read me as female. And it felt like it was my responsibility. But I did the only thing I could and lived inside what looked like a contradiction to some people. I'm a witness uh, to a hit-and-run accident. It's very dark and raining out, and a sports car clips a pedestrian, an elderly woman, and knocks her to the concrete and then screeches away. So I call an ambulance, and I, I sit on the curb, and I wait with the older woman and while the ambulance comes, and a, a policeman shows up first, and he takes my name and phone number and address, and he writes it all down in his little book, and then he narrows his eyes at me under the, under the knife shape of street light coming from above us, and he says, he appears to be considering something, and then he says, uh, do you have a gender? Yes, I do, I say. <laughs> this kind of long, extended, uncomfortable stretch of silence sort of hangs there in the dark between us. And then he says, hey, there is no need to get smart with me about anything. Are you and I, are we going to have a problem here? His words are clipped, severe like his brush cut. Hey, hey I say, I, I'm, I'm the witness here, okay? Um, I stuck around. I called you guys. I, I thought I was the good guy here. Yeah, he says, we can change all that in one second if you do not cooperate with me. 
I'm female, I tell him. Oh yeah, he says. And are you sure about that? I don't say anything. I just keep looking down. Yeah, he says. That's better. For 10 years, I told the story that I was male, but people often kept treating my gender like it was sort of like this magic eight ball, and they would just keep re-rolling after they get, kept getting answers that didn't measure up for them. It was kind of this constant and exhausting struggle to be accepted as male, and at some point, gender started feeling a bit more like a social joke, because I didn't really actually have a lot of control over how people read me, and then I met all these people who were um, 10 years younger than me, and they were like, actually, we just go by they, and like we don't bother like really um, trying to be read as male or female. And I was like, what? And I was like, what are you telling me? You can do that? And I was like, but then I kind of thought about it and I was like, these people have a good idea. So I decided that I would also retire from the gender binary and request people use the they pronoun for me. So this narrative about my body being something that had like something I needed to change, to change how people addressed me sort of started to confuse me because I, I wasn't really a man stuck in a woman's body anymore. And so unless I was like a gender neutral person stuck in a man's body, stuck in a woman's body. And then that all just became very confusing. And so I just gave up on bothering to change my body or presentation or behavior to match either side of the gender binary stereotypes. And I took the responsibility of earning acceptance off myself and stop trying to convince people I was male or female. Whenever I think of Ray's gender retirement, I imagine them with like a bubble pipe, like a Sherlock Holmes like bubble pipe, and like a, a footstool, and like plaid slippers, and a, and a smoking jacket. And they just sit there and say things like, you don't say. Uh, seems peaceful. Um, <laughs> I'm out to dinner with my sweetheart. Um, she's wearing a little black dress. Never a bad idea. And a rhinestone bracelet. She looks beautiful. And I'm in a shirt and tie and dress pants and a jacket. Still, the waiter keeps mercilessly referring to both of us as ladies. Are you ladies gonna have dessert? Can I bring you ladies the bill? Are you ladies, can I bring you some coffee? How are you, how is everything, ladies? So, and there is nothing wrong at all with being a lady. Some of my best friend, friends are ladies, but, but to me I am obviously anything but. And I realize that the English language is sadly devoid of names for people like me, and I try to cut the world some slack for this every day, all day, and the day after that too. But the truth is, is that every time I'm misgendered like that, I am reminded that I do not fit, I am not this, I am not that, I am not seen, I can't be recognized, I have no name, I am invisible and a tiny little sliver of me disappears. It's just a sliver. It's razored most days from the surface of my very thick skin. But some days, I don't know why, it comes straight off my soul. Sometimes it's felt so deep, but most days simply just shrugged off, but still, it's a sliver, and all those slivers 
add up to something harder to pretend around. So now when I go into a situation and I never really, it's sort of like a thing where I don't know what people think I am. I just show up in this shirt and get on the train, you know, and I'm like, sometimes people are like, would you like some wine, sir? I'm like, oh, you think I'm a man and I'm over 18 or 19? I don't know how old you have to be to drink anymore, actually. But, <laughs> you know, or, you know, so maybe I'm a heterosexual man or heterosexual woman or a lesbian woman or a gay man. And I guess in practice, I've gotten around to being all those things at one time or another in my life, sort of working my way through the... No. Anyway. Um, anyway, even though I'm gender neutral and queer now, so maybe my gender retirement is a bit more like a greatest hit style experience, you know? Where people walk up and I can kind of hear the song, and as they get closer, I'm like, I know that. And then I'm like, okay, you know, I'm kind of rediscovering all these songs. And Anyway, any, ever, after everything that's changed for me, I'm more inclined to just leave the narrative open for myself. Now that I define my gender and sexuality as stories I tell and agree upon, I'm, uh, I try to leave it more open than I have in the past, and I want to leave room for future possibilities I haven't been presented with yet. I'm a gender failure, and I failed at the gender binary, unable to find a place in being either a man or a woman that was comfortable for me. But ultimately, I think it's the binary that fails to leave room for most people to write their own gender stories. Any gendered public washroom men's or women's, and I have experimented extensively with both, anywhere, anytime at all, every day of my life, for the rest of my life. Possible danger. And I, I tell myself sometimes that if I did fit into a box, um, if there was always a perfect little bathroom, especially just for people like me, I would get bored. I, I, would, get, I would get soft, I would lose my spidey senses, you know, my, my cat-like reflexes. <laughs> that the eyes in the back of my head would close over forever and I would miss them. I tell myself that story some days when I'm having a bad day but mostly I don't believe me. And I have to be honest and tell you, some days it just exhausts me. It does, uh, especially on tour. Different bathroom, different airport, different hotel, different lobby, different everything. Every day, always strangers. Nobody knows me. All the head shaking and stumbling around, the double takes, trying to navigate, negotiate this two-ring circus that is the gender binary, walking pronoun tightropes and balancing between my safety and someone else's comfort. I am also a gender failure. You are free to call me trans and butch. I'm proud to lift both those names up. Hold it. Trans. Right there in the sun. And you would not be wrong, but this still feels like I'm borrowing a word from someone else. 
It's not all the way mine, really, and my friend who lent it to me might need it back, or they might need it more than me, and really, these are all just words anyway, and words are always imperfect. Words are just sounds we make with our mouths that point our minds to think of things that cannot truly be described in words anyway. I am a writer. I know where words fail us. And I also know that a name is not a person. It is just what we have agreed to call them. But here's the thing. Here's the secret, special, super, silver lining of it all. Here's the thing about always being called words that bounce off me or fall flat at my feet is what a heart balm it is when she looks right at me like she does. How she heals me with that sideways flicker in her eyes. Look that you just wait until I get you home. Look how she helped me, how her hands on me helped me own all of this body, how she takes me and then gives me back to myself better somehow more whole, all the sweeter because it took so long for me to find myself, to truly live inside all of me. Danger, 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 ah, I'll be a like to point out I'm actually wearing a very different shirt than the one in the video. I own more than one shirt that says way more brown tones. Look closely. Way more.
for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.